battles are too tough, but I'm telling you, it will be worth it all when we stand face to face with him. Amen. It's going to be worth every long mile, every trial, every heartache, every sigh, every time. All those trials and battles, it's going to be worth it for one glimpse of his face. It'll be worth it for one time to kneel before his throne. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. There's a lot of benefit to living for God in this life, but I'm telling you, I'm not living for him just for this life. Hallelujah. There's a reward that's coming. Amen. There's an inheritance that's coming. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I'm living for the day that I can be with him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, praise God. Evermore, I will serve him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, if you turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Isaiah chapter number 12. Amen. Love what I feel in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. I'm glad that God doesn't leave when the pastor does. Praise God. Amen. Pastor Riggin having preaching this weekend. He's evangelizing this weekend. Praise God. Amen. I already heard from another source that he did a good job Friday night, which didn't surprise me in the least. Well, praise the Lord. Amen. Enjoyed his teaching on Thursday night. Amen. If you didn't enjoy it, maybe because you need to listen to it again. Well, now. Don't want to kill the spirit to start. Hallelujah. Anyways, Isaiah chapter 12. Verse number one, and in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee, though thou wast angry with me. Thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in that day shall ye say, Praise the Lord. Call upon his name, declare his doings among the people. Make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for he hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. Praise God. He said, cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel. A little bit this morning to preach on the subject, how great is your God? How great is your God? Amen. Can you lift your hands, ask God to have his way in the remainder of this service? Lord, we need you right now, Jesus. God, we need you today, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Lord, you are wonderful, Jesus. You're wonderful, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Amen, amen. And you may be seated. 
Praise God. If you go back to the first or the next begin, oh, chapter before this one in the book of Isaiah, chapter number 11, at the very end of that chapter, you can read where Isaiah is talking about the deliverance of God's people. And he said that it'll be like the day that they came up out of the land of Egypt. And he said, in that day, the day of deliverance, you can say, Lord, I will praise thee. You were angry with me, but now your anger is turned away and you're a comforter. And he begins to talk about how great God is. And he was his strength. He was his song. He became his salvation. He, he said, with joy, you'll draw waters out of the wells of salvation. And he began to declare his doings, make mention his name is exalted. He, he talked about singing unto the Lord. Why? For he hath done excellent things. He said, cry out and shout. Why? For he is great. Amen. There is no doubt in our minds this morning that God is great. Amen. We begin to think about all the things that God has done, all the things he is capable of doing. We can read in the word of God the many miraculous things that he did, the deliverances and all the things. There is no doubt that God is great. Hallelujah. I'll talk about for a few minutes this morning some different ways. I, I, there is no way this morning that I could begin to scratch the surface uh, of all the ways that God is great. Amen. So I'm just going to mention a few of them. But one of the things that amazes me about God is that he is uh, the creator. In Psalm 95, verse 1, it says, Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Amen. One of the things that's great about God is he is that rock. He is the rock that no matter the storm, no matter what's going on in our life, he is the rock that we can run to. He is that rock that can't be moved, that can't be shaken. David said, when I was overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. The rock where my enemies can't touch me. The rock where the storm winds can't touch me. I'm telling you, that's the kind of God we serve. He is the rock that we can run to. The rock that we can cling to when everything else is shaken and life is pounding on us. We can go to the rock. Hallelujah. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his and he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand today, if he will hear his voice. He was the creator. He spoke the worlds into existence. The Bible says that we were fearfully and wonderfully made. God made us and put into us what he wanted us to have. Oh, we don't believe that this morning? God made me with the talents that I have. God made me with the abilities that I have. There are some talents that I wish I had, but I do not possess them. God did not give them to me. But he made me the way that he wanted me to be. 
hope you don't mind if I preach a little bit this morning. Amen. The Bible, he made us. He made us the way he wanted us to be. We can't sit back and say, well, I wish I was like so-and-so, and I wish I had the ability that they have or the talent that they have and sit back and bury our talents. But he gave to every man according to his ability. And we've got to take the talent that he gave us and give it back to him and use it for his purpose. There was one was given five, one was given two, one was given one. The one that had five went out and worked and gained five more. The one that had two went out and gained two more. The one that had one went and buried it in the dirt. He wasn't condemned because he only had one talent. He was condemned because he didn't do anything with it. God made us the way that he wanted us to be. He is the great creator. And I want to give it back to him. Well, hallelujah. He is the creator. He can make a highway through the sea. He can create that. I'm going to tell you, he can create a highway out of your situation. He's still the creator. He's still the maker. Praise God. He also is our healer. Very familiar story in Mark chapter 5, verse 25. A certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years had suffered many things of many physicians, and it's been all she had. It was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. When she heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. See, that's the problem we have sometimes is we come for prayer, but we don't really think that we're going to be whole when we walk away. <clears throat> We come into his presence wanting to be made whole, but at the same time, we really doubt that it's going to happen because our faith is lacking. But she said, if I touch him, I shall be whole. There wasn't any doubt in her mind that if she would just but touch him. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said to her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Now this could be a whole separate message in itself. But this story tells me that there's a difference in types of touch. Because the disciples said, how can you ask who touched thee when we're the people multitudes strong and everybody's touching you? But there was a difference in her touch. It was a touch with faith behind it. It was a touch that believed and said, if I'll touch him, I shall be whole. There were maybe some people in the crowd that wanted to touch him just to say they had touched him. That they were in the presence of a great man. But this woman, she had a need and she said, if I touch him, I shall be whole. It was a touch of faith, of absolute faith that reached out and got a hold of him. And there was a difference. 
Jesus didn't stop every time somebody touched him or tapped him, but this was something different. He perceived that virtue flowing out of him, that healing virtue that touched a woman who had tried everything and nothing had helped her, but she kept getting worse and worse. But one moment in the presence of God, one moment with great faith and an ability and a willingness to reach out and touch him, and she was made whole. I believe in this place this morning that God is still a healer. He has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he healed back then, he can heal today. But what we got to do is we got to reach out with faith, believing that if we touch him, we shall be whole. There were a lot of people probably that day that touched him that went home the same as they came. Because they didn't touch him with faith. Whew. There's a lot of folks come into the presence of God and leave the same way they came because they didn't have that willingness to reach out and touch him with faith. Well, hallelujah. And it's not just always the physical body we're talking about with healing. Jesus himself stood up in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18 and read and said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, handed it back to the minister, and all the eyes of the folks there were fastened on him. Obviously, in some way, he read that there was an attention there. And he said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. He came to heal the brokenhearted. He is a healer of the body, yes, but he's a healer of the mind. He's a healer of the soul. Whoo. He is our healer. You know, there's some words when we hear them, when we hear them come out of the doctor's mouth, they really have a tendency to get our attention. Words like cancer. Man, there's sometimes we hear the word cancer, we think it's over, it's done. But you know what? That's nothing to God. Doesn't matter what we come to him with, he's able to heal it. I've seen him heal cancer. We had a man came to my home church when I was just a boy. Big old lump in his neck. They had already determined it was cancer. He had already had a biopsy. It was cancer. And they were going to have to go in and do a major surgery. They went in to remove it. When they pulled it out, there was no cancer. Completely healed him. We've seen it when we were evangelizing. A lady came in with cancer. She decided she wasn't going to do any treatment, just believe God. And, and we were there one day when she went for her test and she came back and her cancer count was down like one point. And that church went to shouting for it. And they said they were going to shout for every one of them. We left for a few months, came back by for a week, and her cancer count was better than ours was. Amen. It was lower. It was below normal. No treatment except coming into the presence of God with faith. I'm telling you what, we've got to come in with faith. It doesn't
doesn't do us any good to come in if we don't believe he's capable of doing it. We can bring our needs to him, and if we don't think he's really going to take them from us, we pick them back up and carry them back out, and we leave unchanged, unmoved, unstirred. But when we come in with faith, believe and say, I'm tired of feeling like this. I'm tired of carrying a broken heart. I'm tired of feeling like a feel, and I'm going to reach out whatever I've got to do, however much effort it takes. I've got to touch him, and if I can touch him, I know I'll be hell. Amen. I've never seen anybody come with such a determination that God did not reach down, that God did not move. With faith, He's our healer. He's great. He's a great God. Anybody here ever been down in life? Discouraged. David went off with his men to join the Philistines in battle against Israel. And uh, when he got there, the other Philistine kings got a little upset that he was there. I mean, they knew him pretty well. I'm sure he had killed enough of them. And uh, they sent him home with his men so he went home, and when he gets back to Ziklag, he finds the city in ruins, torn to pieces, smoke rising, no doubt, family's gone, possession's gone, everything wiped out. The Bible says that they wept and wept until they had no more power to weep. Very rough, rough day for all of them. And in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, it says, David was greatly distressed for the People spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Greatly distressed. Got to understand that not only were they thinking of stoning him, but his two wives and his children were gone. They were gone. His possessions were gone. His house was destroyed. And then his men began to think of stoning him. He was greatly distressed. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. I want to tell you this morning, it doesn't matter how discouraged we get and how distressed we are. If we'll take the time, we can encourage ourselves in the Lord. If we're in those moments of discouragement, instead of going and sitting in a corner somewhere, dwelling on our troubles, if we just turn around and hit our knees in that corner and begin to talk to God, we can encourage ourselves in the Lord. He's promised that he'd never leave us nor forsake us. David himself said, I was young and now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. You know why? Because David knew that no matter what he was going through in life, he could reach out and encourage himself in the Lord. 
I'll tell you what, your situations may not change immediately. You may have to get up in the morning and still face your problems and face your trouble. But I'm telling you, there's a difference after you've gone and encouraged yourself in the Lord. There's a different outlook on life when you've encouraged yourself in him. When he's reached out and lifted your spirits up. Yeah, your trouble still may be there. Your problem may be looking you in the face. But I'm telling you, when you've got God on your side, that problem ain't that big anymore. All because you encouraged yourself in a God who is great enough to encourage us no matter where we are. We can be in those moments where everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. And if you have never been there, you will. Because it's called life. And just because we live for God doesn't mean life does not happen. But the difference we have between those that don't know him is that we can encourage ourselves in him. Woo. We don't always need somebody to come and give us some words of encouragement. Because we can reach out to him and he will encourage us. Because he's a great God. He is our provider. He's our provider. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, it says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. It's not the life more than meat and the body than raiment. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore... Take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Seek ye first. Well now, when we're seeking him first, so we don't have to worry about tomorrow. There's a song that I've sang many times to myself says, I don't know about tomorrow. Don't seem to understand. But I know who holds tomorrow. And I know who holds my hand. He's our provider. Abraham called him Jehovah Jireh. The Lord shall provide. When they went up on that mountaintop, him and Isaac... 
God provided for them a sacrifice. God testing Abraham to see if he meant more to him than Isaac did, I believe. Making sure that Abraham had really put God first. Well, they got up there and God provided. He called the place Jehovah Jireh. The Lord is our provider and he is still our provider. Well, I know this is simple this morning, but it's what I feel in my heart. Hallelujah. Maybe this will all make sense after a little while. Amen. I do believe with everything in me that he is also our deliverer. Luke chapter 8 to me is an incredible chapter. We find in the middle of it that they are in the boat headed across. He said, let's go to the other side. And he goes and finds a nice comfortable spot and goes to sleep. Amen. I guess that's the only area that I'm really like him. (laughs) Hopefully not the only one, but I get out on a boat in the open water, I'm probably going to go to sleep. Hey, man, there's just something about rocking in the boat, and it just rocks me to sleep. Well, hallelujah. There he was sleeping, and it was a storm blew up, and the water was coming in, and his disciples were scared to death. These men that had grown up on the water, they did not think they were going to make it. They finally go and wake him up and say, don't you care that we perish? He stands up and says, peace be still, and immediately the water is calm. They get to the other side. They land on the coast and there comes one running unto him, falls at his feet and begins to worship. A man that we know as Legion, possessed of a legion of devils. A man most miserable. The spirits began to beseech him that he would not cast them too far away. But when Jesus said go, every one of those spirits left the man. Entered into the pigs. Pigs ran into the sea and drowned themselves. And the next time we see this man who had been naked, cutting himself, screaming, they couldn't bind him with chains or fetters. We find him sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind. Because God can deliver from the storm, whether it's a physical storm or a spiritual. He is our deliverer. I read this scripture just a week or two ago, Psalm 91, verse 1. It says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. Surely, surely, He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. Surely he shall deliver thee. He's a deliverer. He is our salvation. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us, buy us back 
from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. He is our salvation. He gave himself for us. Romans 5 and 6, for when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He gave himself for us in our lowest place, in that place where we were furthest from him, in that place where we were living completely contrary to the law of God. He gave himself for us to be our salvation. A question that I have this morning is how great is your God? We've talked out of the scripture today just a little bit of how great God is. My question is, how great is your God? In other words, how great is he in your life? We like to talk about how God is not limited. God is not stopped. But I'm telling you, you can limit how great God is in your life. We can limit what God can do in our life through doubt, through unbelief, through warped priorities. We can diminish God in our own life. Where we know he's a great God, but he's not great in our life. Well, now it's quiet. You see, we read a scripture that said that we shouldn't care about what we're wearing or worrying about it. But the key was to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You see, if God is weighed down on that list of priorities, if we wake up every morning so wrapped up in life that we've forgotten about him, then he's not going to be very big in our life. And we shouldn't really expect him to do great things for us if he's like third, fourth, fifth on our priority list. There's an old saying that I've heard all my life, if he's not Lord of all, then he isn't Lord at all. Well, because you see, if we put other things first, and the reality is that's what we're really living for. Well, hallelujah. I knew this would be fun. We read, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. But if we're not dwelling in the secret place, if we're not dwelling in that place under the shadow of the Almighty, then how can we expect him to be our refuge? Well, hallelujah. How can we expect him to be our deliverer? When I was 17 years old, I broke my ankle. 
playing basketball, the break at school, outside on the blacktop, sprawled out of my face and just laid there. I felt it and I heard it pop. My buddy's like, come on, get up, get up. I said, I can't, man. I said, it's done. It's done. It's done. I knew it was broke. So they finally, they ran inside. The pastor was in there. He came out and they helped me get up and got me inside and sure enough, I busted it. And so that day when I went to the hospital, they, they put it in a little splint because it was too swollen to cast and, and they gave me crutches. Actually, they wheeled me out to the car in a wheelchair and then my mom went to the pharmacy and rented me a pair of crutches and I could only move with crutches. I couldn't put any weight on it. We were in revival at the time I broke it and they prayed for me that night and I decided to test my faith and I stepped on it. I didn't have very much faith. <clears throat> it hurt. <laughs> so I didn't do it again. But I had crutches. That's how I moved around for a couple of weeks. Finally, they let me have a walking cast for the last couple of weeks that I had to be casted up. And then I played softball in my cast and broke it and had to get a new one put on. Went back on crutches for a few days. I was 17. So, but when I got that cast off, the crutches went away. I didn't need them anymore because I could walk on my own again. And too often, that's how we use God. Things get broken. We can't walk like we want to walk. So then we go in the closet, open the closet, pull out the crutches. We fall on our face before God and we use him as a crutch until we get back on our feet and the crutches go back in the closet and we try to do it our own way. And the reality is, is God is not really great in our life. Anybody that's ever used crutches knows that your favorite day is the day you don't have to use them anymore. They're no fun. Stairs, it, it, it's just trying to figure out if the crutches go first or you go first. And if you get too carried away going down, praise the Lord, you jump and hope you can land on one foot. It's no fun. But they help you. But it's sad to me when we use God as a crutch. When everything's going terrible, we'll come fall on our faces. We'll cry out to him. Boy, we really, we pour ourselves out to him. And he picks us up. Everything's good again. We don't need him anymore until we get back in that place again. And what we're saying is, God, you're not really great in my life. Well, hallelujah. And then we wonder why bad things keep happening. We wonder why we keep struggling. Can walk good for a little while, but then we're back where we were. I'm telling you what, it's time to quit using God as a crutch and let him be the Lord of our life. Maybe I'm just preaching to myself this morning. I'm just as human as anybody. I stress out about life. 
stressed out about decisions, knowing I shouldn't be because God's in control. I lay awake in my bed at night wondering what's going to happen tomorrow. But I'll tell you what, I've learned in my few short years that I can't go to God only when I'm in trouble. But that he ought to be the first place I go every time. When I'm sick, when I'm discouraged, when I feel like I don't have direction, when I'm in need, or when I'm happy, when everything's going good, I've got everything I need, and life is going smooth, he still has to be my number one priority. I, I told you a week, about a few days ago, that I, had, I went to a doctor, and, and uh, she asked difficult questions, because I don't believe in lying. And she asked me, she said, so do you ever have blood pressure issues? I said, well, I have in the past. She goes, you ever have chest pains? Don't ask me that. I said, well, yeah. And immediately she stopped, and we had to discuss that. And then she ordered me for a stress test. So on Friday, I felt like a hamster. Wired up on the treadmill with two people standing there watching me. Sucking wind. Felt like they had me climbing a cliff at full speed. Trying to get my heart rate up. Thought my legs were going to burn off. I was about to die. She goes, you can jog or walk. So I tried jogging. It was too slow to jog, but it was too fast to walk. <sighs> Sweat pouring off me. She, before me, there was an elderly person that was cold. So she had raised the temperature in the room to 75 degrees. And I get in there and I was about to die. Most exercise I'd had in five years. All in 12 minutes. And everything came back clean. I didn't have no problems. I'm thankful for that. Amen. She tested me for everything and made up some things, I think. But it came back clean on all of them, and I'm thankful for that. But I also realize that the reason I have those pains is because sometimes I worry about things that I ought to put in the hands of God. I stress out about things that I ought to just leave in the hands of God. I believe that God called me. Okay? God's in control. And God's in control. If you let God be in control, he'll lead you where he wants you to go. There's a verse that I, I, I say a lot of times when I'm praying in Psalms chapter 1. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. God, order my steps. Lead me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. In other words, God, I don't know where I'm going, but lead me. But then in our human frailty, we begin to stress out and worry. Because maybe I'm just different than all y'all, but I like to know what's going on. I want to know what's happening tomorrow. I want to know what's going on next week or next month or next year. And let me tell you something, the life I lead, I have no idea. Well, praise God. Just don't know. But somehow in life, when we, we're in those places, we've got to learn to let him be great and let him be the Lord of my life. Hallelujah. Oftentimes, the reason why we have trouble is because what crops into our mind, into our heart, is that dirty little word called doubt. 
I'm almost done. We'll give you hope. And it's early. Can beat the Baptist to the restaurant. It was a time in my life, it was about, I don't know, four years ago, I guess. Somewhere around there. We had thought we were, and I still believe, I did something in the will of God and it blew up in our faces. And so we were sitting in a church in recovery, praise God. And uh, it's in a place where nothing seemed to be going the way I wanted it to go. Just didn't really feel that clear direction. Didn't know where God wanted me. Didn't know what God wanted me to do. Even some days I'd get up wondering if I was even supposed to be where I was at. Where you want me to just go sit somewhere, be a good saint for somebody. Doubting everything I could doubt about life. Just nothing was making sense. A man that I actually worked for and we had gotten reasonably close at the time. He came and preached there one night. Started preaching on worship is what he started on. And somehow about five minutes into the message, just took a big turn, began to preach on the sin of doubt, of doubting God, doubting his word, doubting his voice. And man, conviction began to set in as I realized that what I had been doing was doubting God, not trusting him, but doubting him. Sometimes people will come into your life and you really, sounds too good to be true sometimes and there's a little doubt creeps in until they've proven themselves. Well, I'm going to tell you something. God has proven himself over and over and over. We have no real reason to doubt him. That day, I'm not saying this to brag. It's actually kind of pitiful that it had to be this way. But I was the first one into the altar asking God to forgive me, to erase the doubt from my mind and from my heart. Because as long as we're doubting, God is not really great like he wants to be in our hearts. As long as that doubt and unbelief stays there, God can't move, he can't work, he can't order our steps like he desires to do because we've relegated him to some unimportant thing. Well, hallelujah. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him will I trust. See the way to make God great in your life. It's to put all your trust in Him, all your hope in Him. To put Him first is that number one priority. Hallelujah. I'm not saying I'm successful every day, but I try every day when I wake up still laying in bed to let my first thoughts be about Him. The day will take care of itself. God, just be with me today. Search me. Search me. I want you to be great. I don't want to let my life take priority, but I want him to be great. 
I want him to be the top priority, to be first. You know, if we're ever going to see revival like we desire to see revival in our own lives. You know, oftentimes we talk about revival being church growth, but I don't believe that that's really what revival is. Because the very definition of revival is to bring back to life that which is dead. Revival happens in our hearts. And when revival happens in us, then God begins to bring folks in. But if it's going to happen in our hearts, it's going to be because we allow him to be great in our life. I've seen too many folks that have walked away from God. And it's almost always because priorities got rearranged. Priorities got out of whack. And God was not great anymore. Other things begin to take over their thoughts. Other things begin to take over their time. God was just relegated to the closet to be that crutch when they needed him. And then they got to a place where they just didn't feel like they needed him at all. There's been many a time that I've gone into a thrift store. There's sets of crutches there because folks will keep them for a while. They'll buy them and keep them, but you don't really use them very often. Hopefully you never have to use them again. And so they just discard them. And if God becomes a crutch, it's not going to be very long until the crutches get discarded. This morning, if you'd stand with me today, why don't we make sure that he is still great? That he is still our focus. That he's my number one priority. That I've put him first. He wants to be our healer. Wants to be our provider. He's our creator. He made us. He brought us here this morning. He, he put us where we are. He's made us what he wants us to be. But one of the things that he gave us was that free will to do what we decide to do. We can make him a crutch. We can relegate him to second, third, fourth, fifth priority. He'll never really be great. But I want to tell you, if you want true satisfaction in life, if you really want to be happy in life, you want joy and peace, put him number one. Make him that top priority. Let him be the one that guides your feet, directs your steps. Let him be the pilot of your vessel. Put yourself on the potter's wheel. Let him make you the way he really desires you to be. Part of being on that potter's wheel is removing some things, reshaping some things. It's relinquishing that free will and letting him make us what he desires. How great is he in your life? How great is your God? If you'd like to come and talk to him, this altar's open this morning. If you'd like to come make sure.